What a great truth, great reality. Soon and very soon we will see the King. But until then, may we be found pursuing Christ and desiring to live Christ through our lives. Turn with me, please, to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. You know, much of social reform in Western society really could be credited to Christianity and how God has used different people to bring about the reform that has happened. You know, leaders of the 18th century, evangelical awakening, such as great godly men as Charles Wesley, men that spoke out against social evils. Others that stood up would be a John Howard, a man that was passionate in preaching. He was a contemporary Wesley bringing about prison reform in England. Or we think of our shores here in America, the great awakening in the 18th century. And God used men such as uh, Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield that resulted in some great universities that were founded, some right here in our area like Princeton. You know, pressure from evangelicals led to some tremendous change. I think of one of the heroes of the faith, and a William Wilberforce, and here he is in England and battling what many were accepting of the, of the slave trade because of his persistence brought about the, the abolishment in the English empire of the slave trade in 1807, and actually the, its possessions wouldn't happen until 1833. But there were other Americans that were involved in evangelical movement here in America um, during the 1800s and bringing about um, abolitionist movement. In fact, I think their cause brought about in 1863 the Emancipation Proclamation and to have slavery outlawed in 1863. And the list goes on. Lord Shaftesbury, William Carey. God using William Carey in India to bring about to stop burning widows and, and, and children's sacrifice. I mean, just tremendous men that step forward. But you know, I say all of that because nowhere... Nowhere in all of the world should the social aspect and what God's doing be evident more than what's evident in the home. The home is the institution that God uses to just demonstrate what he does in our community through the way that we live, the way that we conduct ourselves. The home is the most important social institution in the world. And that home is being attacked today. But we want to get back to biblical values and what the Word of God says. Because, see, as we live out biblical values and we understand that my, as believers, I, that's to what I'm referring to, we, those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior, we have become adopted. We have been marked beforehand. We've been brought into God's family. Well, that's our position. And then it ought to, in fact, impact our practice you know, it's our doctrine that we understand who we are positionally in Christ. But how is our duty being changed? How is our duty? It should result in holy living. That's what I want to look at this morning as we come to this, this sweet passage, is that we that are blessed as we're in, in our home with, with, with families, with spouses, as we're part of a family, that we ought to be a light for Jesus Christ as to where we are in the community. You know, if we step into this passage that we read in Colossians chapter 3. If we can assume that Paul is drawing from the Hellenistic code, you know what I mean by that? Hellenism is the Greek influence of his day, the Greek culture. If we can assume because it all permeates this culture and he's countering what he's saying against that, then we'll understand what he's saying in this passage. Because the Greek culture, this is what it would be in Hellenism, is that the man was a ruler of the home, his duties were never addressed. It would just be his rights. 
and everyone else fell in under them, and they had no say. He was his sovereign. He was his ruler. But we see by reading this passage and what Paul says and what he addresses, he's countering that approach. In fact, he uses the word Lord, if you picked it up eight times, kurios, and it's translated twice as masters. But he uses the Lord throughout this passage, and he's shifting where the, the supremacy should be understood. It's not in the male headship, but it's in Jesus Christ. And he is the Lord. He's the head of the home. So he hits it throughout this passage eight times. And so when he addresses women, and we'll talk a moment about that, and I should say I have permission to preach this passage for my wife. No. <laughs> but when we talk about the role of women, we talk about then the role of, of, of husbands, we need to understand that, yeah, when he says submit, and then he uses obey and obey twice to, to children and to, to servants, that it's understood that it's to the Lord is where all authority goes. It's to the Lord is the head of the household. And I, I just want to make one other, I think, very important um, observation, if I may. We're looking at the paragraph, chapter 3, verses 18, through chapter 4, verse 1. But there's a word that's repeated in 3.17 and in 4.2. It's the same, same word that's used. And it, in a sense, it brackets our passage. It frames our passage. And that it's very important that we pick up that word. And that word is thanks. Verse 17, whatever you do, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So he addresses the home, talks about it in verses 18 through 4.1. The responsibility is packed with, with several commands. It's just chock full of commands, instruction. It's not just epistle teaching. It's commands, change of lifestyle. But he frames it in thanksgiving. Why is that important? Why is thanksgiving important to this whole passage? Because as I look how I am to live as a husband, as a father, you as a wife, as a mother, as a child, it's Framed with reminders of who you are. Thanksgiving to God, thanksgiving to God. See, God is the one that, that's, that's the center of all of it. And the way I am to live is an expression of my thanksgiving to what he has done for me. So it's to change our lives. In light of the vertical, this is what's to happen horizontally. So he's shaping it so we remember what he's done and we remember that, that he's the sovereign. So if I were to come across with what I really want to communicate and get, this is, this is really what I want to say is my main idea. Our confession, we as believers, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Yeah, he's Lord of all, but it has to be displayed. It has to be center stage in our home. If it's not, what are we? We are simply hypocrites. So confession that, yeah, we could say it easily, Jesus, yeah, you're Lord, but may be demonstrated by how we live. So clearly, Lord Jesus, Lord is the center of all that we're doing. So let's address the first relationship. We're looking at three relationships that centers around the home. Husbands and wives, then parents and children, then servants and, and um, masters. And we'll address each of these in the framework of how it's working here. You know, our culture struggles with the word that we're, we find in this text. And... There's a lot of even evangelicals that are giving sway and challenging it um, because we hear this, this command, husbands, or not husbands, might be in some homes, <laughs> wives, submit to your husbands. Um, 
this word submit is a challenging word. You know, our culture struggles with this. And there's an article, just a, a tip of an article I read a couple weeks ago. Times are changing. Women are advocating for themselves, receiving higher pay, attending and graduating from college. In 2019, for women to be advised of their place on the hierarchy scale and just opposition to men is not only outdated, but unnecessary, end of quote. And we're thrilled that women are getting the degrees that they are. And we're, we're all for that, um, we that are, that are Christians. But sadly, some evangelicals are even lining up and saying, well, that's, that's true, that there isn't this, this idea of submission, and it's outdated, and it's not something that we should practice, and it's not in alignment with Scripture, and, you know, it's written by man, and this part of the Scripture isn't inspired, and it's just some, some male chauvinistic people putting their wishes and their desires on, on the pages of Scripture. You know, the principle of authority and submission is throughout the Bible. Um, look at this verse in Corinthians 11. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. So the man's, you're not the top dog, Christ is. And the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. What's he saying? Is, is Christ inferior to God? Not at all. Christ willingly set aside his rights in submission to the Father's will to come to earth and die on the cross for our sins so that we can have a relationship with God. But it's authority to accomplish God's purposes. So what does the word submit mean? It really is to subject oneself, um, to subject oneself to, to another. Um, it's used in Luke 2.51 of Jesus when he subjected himself to his parents. Um, it's used in, in a couple other places too. But notice what it says, wives to be submissive to whom? To, to your husbands. God is immediately shaping his command with a personal pronoun, your. It's, it's not some other person out that's distant. It's an intimate, sweet relationship that he's showing here. Wives, submit to your own husbands. And, and I know I, I should wait, but hold on, women. We're gonna, it's going to get better when we get to the husband's command. So don't, don't get out those rotten apples yet. But, but wives, submit to your husbands. So he's giving a command to the wife in your household, to the man to whom you're, you're, you're married, the man to whom you're committed. This is God's command to you that you are to be, be submissive to him. Let me put some explanations out there, what, what it doesn't look like or what God doesn't mean. First of all, submission is not implying inferiority, okay? It's not saying that the wife is inferior, and, the, and Scripture continually emphasizes this. There is either Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. God doesn't see barriers. There's oneness, man, woman. There's not slave or free. There's no superiority. There's not one race. There's not one political status. There's not one financial status. We're one superior. God talks about equality. All right, so when we, we look at this word submission, he's not saying, well, because the male's a top dog, you rule the roost, and, you know, everyone else is in fear. He's not saying that at all. That is not his purpose here. So God is driving this home point. Secondly, submission, submission is an absolute. It doesn't mean that he's the absolute ruler in the home and what he says has to go. It doesn't go if he's disagreeing with God's word. It doesn't go if he's disagreeing with God's standard. It doesn't go if he's dis disagreeing with God's conduct. 
So it's not absolute. It's not whatever that the man says goes. And there's another third is that the authority of the man is, is not to be authoritative. He's not to be domineering. He's not to be ruling with, I said it, we're going to do what I said. There's not to be anger because whole address about a husband being harsh. So we, we look at that and we, we start to understand what God's saying here and we get that it's, that it's a loving relationship that's being demonstrated. We see a horrific picture in the last month is what's been demonstrated in some parts of the world towards women. That is not at all what Christianity is about. It's not going house to house hunting down um, Christians or women or you find them in the streets and you're throwing them back in the home. They can't go on the street without a man or the Taliban kicking all out of public employment. You're not to work in these places. Your place is home. That is not God's blueprint. And that's, that couldn't be further from what the biblical picture is, is, is drawing here. So he's talking about wives submitting to your husbands. Well, why? It's fitting to the Lord. It's God's blueprint for a functional, beautiful family and home that there's going to be harmony in this way. When we see the wife acting as she should act and the husband acting as she should act, he should act, then there's harmony in the house coming together. So it's fitting to the Lord. Paul writes that it's proper, it's right, and, and it's a pattern of their, their humility and submission is a pattern of their love and honor to Christ. You know, if we were to conclude this whole section and that's all there is, then we would have a pretty ugly section of Scripture. And that's Hellenism. They would just say, wives submit. The Greek culture, this is what happened. But now Paul does something that was never addressed in Greek culture. The man had rights. He has never addressed what he should do. He's never talked about as to his duty. And so now Paul addresses the man because he's not sitting on the, the roost like he's the top dog and no one else matters. Husbands, love your wives. And then he says that he explains it further by saying, do not be harsh to them. This love is, is in the present tense. It's continuous. It's not something that, that stops. It's something that just keeps going and keeps giving. So Paul's giving a command. Husbands, love your wives. Agape love is the same word that's used for God, so love the world. It's used in Romans 5, but God demonstrated his love. It's that love that God the Son had towards us. So it's fair to say, husbands love your wives. This agape love is the most far-reaching, comprehensive, selfless, fulfilling love possible. And he's giving that command to husbands to love your wives in this manner. A love that keeps reaching. A love that doesn't give because it has some emotional high. I'll go out and buy something because I'm feeling pretty great today. Or because she pleased me, I'm going to do this for her. It's a love that knows no limitations, knows no boundaries. A love that keeps giving. Love is dying to self. So we're framing it now. Wives, this is how you're to be. But over here, you're submitting to this kind of a man. A man that's selfless, a man that keeps giving, a man that's loving, a man that's full with, filled with agape love and how he's caring for. Um, this love always meets needs. This love always gives. This love knows no boundaries. This type of love has no anger. This type of love has no wrath. This type of love has no selfishness. This type of love has no bitterness. And then we all understand how we have failed. 
But by God's grace, we keep rising up. God, may we live more Christ-like today. May we keep having Christ take, take control of every aspect of my life. And God, may we be what you want us to be. But he's pressing a point as to husbands. This is how, this is how we're to live. You know, if a wife has that kind of a husband, is she going to struggle to submit? Make sure everybody's still here. <laughs> I thought, like, maybe, like, no, Lord, I, I'm sure I'm going. Soon or very soon. Did everybody leave me? No, the rapture didn't happen. Um, but husbands love your wife. The wife's not going to have a problem submitting to that. At least she shouldn't because of the example that's have before her. But it, gets, it goes further. And do not be harsh with them. Um, this word is used two other, this exact um, root or Greek word is used two other times and is translated in as bitter and sour in Revelation 8 and Revelation 10. Um, the root is used in Ephesians 4.31 and it says putting away all malice. It's the word malice. It's the same root. So, and, and it goes on, by the way, in Ephesians 4.31 to list some pretty ugly sins. So here is talking. You're not going to be harsh. The loving husband's not going to have malice. He's not going to have bitterness. He's not going to have this anger. He's not going to call his wife honey and act like vinegar. He's not going to be something that's, that's, that's bitter and nasty. He's not going to be harsh. So here Paul goes after the man. You have no right to live this way in the home. Let's move on and see between children and parents. Paul gives in verse 20 and 21. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Paul is addressing the second ancient relationship in the home. This is how, how fathers are to behave. This is how parents are to behave. The greatest thing I think that we can do for our children's sake is to treat our wives as they should be treated for our children to have that security in their homes. He's talking your children to obey your parents in everything. So he addresses the children first. He's not talking about um, just three-year-olds and four-year-olds. As children, it's a pretty general term. Those that are living at home, you have the responsibility to obey your parents. And, and it's interesting, just as a PS, he didn't use obey in the husband-wife relationship. You see that? This is a stronger word. Because it's not like wives are obeying. That's a whole different scene. It's submitting where you're, you're, you're willingly giving up your rights to not having to press a point. You both have prayerfully discussed a point, and you both have two different opinions, and we'll just leave it in as God will lead you to make the decision. But maybe he'll make a decision for you as a wife because he loves you so much. Um, anyway, it's, not, it's a different word. Children, obey your parents. Um, this is a stronger pressing word than submit and he's driving home the point of this command that it's all encompassing because it says children obey your parents in most things right no it says in everything children obey your parents in everything there are no exceptions and this is riddled throughout the scriptures honor your father and mother right on through all of the new testament this is the responsibility that children have that they must obey their parents and and sadly i think we as parents um, are sadly to be blamed sometimes for the way our children turn out or, or um, struggles that they may have. Um, we have not brought them to a right standard. Um, example, 
you take a child into a grocery store and you say to them, listen, if you're good, mommy will buy you or daddy will buy you a candy bar when we get to, you get to check out. And so, boy, they have been good. They have been quiet. They get to check out. What do they do? Payday, bud. <laughs> so what was driving their behavior? Was it the love for holiness or love <clears throat> for candy, greed? So, so we, don't, we don't want to bribe our children to behavior. It's kind of sweet when they have been good. Hey, here's a candy bar because you were awesome in the store. You didn't pull down 100 items like you did last week. <laughs> you know, so as we, we bring them to a proper standard, we're shaping them for goodness, not out of greed. Or years ago, my wife heard we were on Long Island and there was this one medical center where she was and it was, it was kind of an exciting day for her to hear all this. No, not really. It's kind of sad. But she hears a lot of this noise coming up. And she hears his mom say something about, if you don't stop this behavior, I'm going to take away the video from your room. And then the child continues screaming. And then the next time she thought, I'm going to take the TV out forever if you don't behave. We don't need to threaten our children like that. What happened to bringing our child to first-time immediate obedience? Hey, when they disobey, you've told them to do something. When they disobey, there's no repeating. Payday has come. They'll then come to the standard. We don't need to keep repeating. Hey, I'm gonna, I told you. What did I tell you? You know, they're gamblers, children. We need to move on. But they're, they're gamblers. They're, they're, wait, they're waiting for that right pitch. What did I tell you? Oh, boy, now dad means business. But we could just calmly, it's like, remember that guy? Go ahead, make my day. No, we don't want to do that. <laughs> but we're kind of like real calmly, what did I tell you? Okay, go to your room. I'll be there in a couple minutes. We don't need to be threatening, repeating, bribing. Bring them to the standard of first-time obedience. God is instructing children, obey your parents um, in everything. You know what the, what the real reason is? This pleases the Lord. Isn't it sweet when you are able to tell your ch children something? Yes, Mommy. Yes, Daddy. The first time. Because that makes God happy. We need to bring our children to that point. Then he presses father's response. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Don't you wish you could step back 35 years ago and start over again? But we don't get that. So I get to talk to you instead. Um, but don't bring your children. Um, don't provoke them. Don't cause them to, to, lose, to lose heart. And this word provoke means to stir up or to become discouraged, to exasperate, to be aggravated. What are ways that... that parents, dads can provoke their children? What are ways that, that we can do things that just exasperate them or aggravate them? Maybe one way is that parents can be overprotective. I'm going to protect you from everything. It's an awful, ugly world out there, and it is. We need to be wise, but, you know, we're hunkered down. We have them in, like, these hazmat suits, <laughs> you know, and how we're conducting and moving about, and but there needs to be, as you cry before God, to give, give you wisdom and how to allow your children freedom because you trust them and things that you're allowing them to do, but at the same time to be wise parents, not to exasperate them or frustrate them. 
communicate that you trust them. Or maybe the other extreme is that you give them too much freedom. You know, you don't have boundaries, you don't have rules, you don't have parameters. Um, third way, maybe that we frustrate is by showing favoritism. Oh, this is my favorite daughter, this is my favorite son, and oh, why can't you be like Freddie over here? He never, why can't you be like, you know, whatever, the favoritism crushes a child or to be compared or um, maybe depreciating their worth of not just showing they're valuable to you and you wanting to spend time with them. You wanting, maybe you're so busy and, and um, in your sports. You know, to this day, I, I still have a, a nightmare memory in my side because my daughter, my third daughter, just does, we have four daughters, our third daughter just doesn't like football, can't stand it. And so she's not an Eagles fan. But to this day, she'll say, Dad, I don't like football because whenever I would come in the room and make a lot of noise, and she sure did, um, you would be watching the Eagles, and you would say, shh, quiet, please, I'm watching the Eagles. And I think she was right. I, if I could do it all over again, I'd say, come here, sweetheart. The Eagles doesn't really matter. What matters is for me to spend time with you and teach you the game. You see what they're doing? <laughs> You know, one of my favorite pictures of, of my, my daughter, Kara, is she's two years old, sitting on my lap. We're living in Parsippany. Maybe she's like a year and a half. We're both eating out of her cheerio bowl, and we're focused on the Eagles game. Anyway, the point is, is, is spending time with them, building into their lives, and not um, putting our affection off in something that, that's so meaningless like, like a football game. There was a sad, sad memory, and I wish, wish it weren't true. The man that was in our church in just in another state. And um, he came to me after a men's prayer breakfast that we had at the diner and poured out his heart what was happening with his daughter, what was going on. And I tried to encourage him in different things and spending time and gave him some ideas of bike rides and other stuff. Um, she eventually ran off with um, her boyfriend in upstate New York and they um, found her but didn't press her to come home because she just would have run again. Um, truth eventually came out through the counselor that was counselor at a Christian school. All that she wanted is she would come in there and cry. You ready for this? I just wish my dad would spend time with me. Now, he was a master financier in accounting, job that he had, but he was also a great carpenter. So he would come home, and he would just get more money in carpentry projects, and I would stand on his deck, and he would point out, I built that deck over there, I put, built it over there, my neighbor over here, and I'm doing this project inside over there. He was working in the neighborhood, never time for his kids. May we show our affection, our love, and how we pour, pour into their lives. Parents, use your relationships to be the real deal, to be genuine before them, leading them in family prayer, leading them in devotions, impacting their lives, teaching them to love Jesus more than anything else. I want to come to the last, um, briefly, between servants and masters. I want to make a couple comments before we, we um, bring some conclusion here. Comments about New Testament view of, of bond servants, or some would call it slavery. Um, there's a big difference between description and prescription. We get that? There's a big difference between description and prescription. There's a difference because, I mean, just because they talk about it doesn't mean it's approved, right? Just because the Bible addresses, and, and it's, 
it's not slavery as we know, we know, and I'm going to address that in a moment, but talks about bond servants or some would say slavery. It's not approving it. In fact, God would set up by writing divine inspiration, writing the Word of God, he would, he would plant seeds that would eventually destroy the systems that were in place. The teaching of the Word of God would demolish what was being done in those days. And it's really, when we look at, had God said as his number one goal, hey, the system that is in, that's present in the first century, bond service and indentured servanthood, destroyed, go after it, is not right, then perhaps those that were followers of Christ would put more emphasis in, in, in on pursuing that and defeating that than they would in spreading the kingdom. And yet the other would happen by impacting the kingdom, impacting people for Jesus Christ. You are now setting the seeds to destroy the very system that's in place because they would come and hear about biblical teaching and how we love one another and how it's care for one another and equality, and that would be the very destruction to bring down the system that was in place. Let me just address a few things. In the New Testament, the bondservant, and that's how the ESV translates it. I think it's the King James translates it, slaves. Um, but really, the, the, the term is bondservant. What was practiced in the first century is nothing to what we're familiar when we hear the word slave. Um, and sadly, we, we, we have from our American history, um, we have a, just an evil understanding of what happened. But that's not the word that's used here. It's not the understanding. A bond servant would be, as I already said, it was really indentured servanthood. Not that we still agree with that, but indentured servanthood was something that was practiced in, in those days and even in Old Testament days that if you ran into debt with a person and you had no means to pay it back, you couldn't pay it back, what do you do? You, have, you owe them a debt, you can't pay it back. You could sell yourself off to them for a number of years, you would still get your freedom. In fact, that's kind of, if I remember correctly, the pilgrims when they came, they were seven years indentured to those that set up the charter and brought them here. They didn't have the money, so you're going to be our servants for seven years, and everything that you get over there, boom, will be our property, and so forth. But by the way, when they went to Massachusetts, they were off of where they had set up in Virginia, so really they were free. Uh, but that's other stuff. Um, so we come here, though, it was that they would then sell themselves to be their servants and to, to work for them. There was still a responsibility how those masters were to treat these men or women in that arrangement. But just to note, he's addressing indentured servanthood here. Um, and in seven years or so, those people could become free. Sadly, what happened in our American system, they never became free. Um, just as another PS, is in Exodus 21, God says those people that kidnap other men should be put to death, Exodus 21, verse 6. So God didn't put his blessing on the American slave system. In 1 Timothy 1, it talks about list all of these evil people and their, their wickedness, and one was kidnapping other people. Um, so, so it was a system that was in place that wasn't God's system. All right? so, but when we look at this instruction, he's not instructing the American slave system here, okay? Um, he's instructing about um, people that have sold themselves into slavery. Um, and I already said it, the New Testament sabotages any slave system. Do unto others as you want them to do to you or love your neighbor as yourself. And that instruction, by the way, was hitting home to Philemon. And Philemon, as he, Onesimus ran away, he's now, Paul says, I'm returning 
your, your servant Philemon, but you're to treat him like a brother now. So, so it's, it changes everyone care. So what, what our minds are, are blemished, historically, accurately so, with, with the evil that has happened. That's not what's in place here. Then thirdly, it's um, God's not issuing a political manifesto here. Um, he wants them to stay focused on the kingdom of God and, and how to pursue God's purposes and kingdom on earth. But that being said, just briefly a couple comments. Bond service, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye services, people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So he's addressing them. So whatever social system, slavery, freedom, God's calling them to a higher standard. You represent Christ in whatever setup you have. Um, some try to use employer-employee um, system. I'm not sure that exactly fits, but it comes maybe a little bit closer than than American understanding of slavery. Um, <laughs> not that we're indentured to our employee employers, but it's the idea that I'm going to serve God in whatever system I have found because what matters the most is eternity, pleasing God, and living for the kingdom. And whatever role that I find myself in, whatever position I find myself in, I'm going to point to Jesus Christ in everything. That is what Paul was after. Then he went after the masters, those that had these servants in their care. You're to treat them in a certain way. You're to treat them in a certain manner. So let me summarize and bring home um, closing application, though I, I think the word is spoken for itself. If we display in the home these characteristics, wives submitting to husbands, Husbands loving, putting the needs and the desires of their wife first, not being harsh, not being tyrants, but being loving partners as being one in Christ. You know, in our dysfunctional, divisive, selfish, me first, I'm going to get my, my way, I'm going to scream, I'm going to pound, I'm going to whine, I'm going to yell. When we have this kind of framework and we find this truth, these commands applied in our lives, we are going to be a sweet savior to a world that is confused, divisive, dysfunctional, selfish, running rampant, leaving their spouses and finding other people, being unfaithful. It goes on and on. But when we live out our position, we will please and honor Jesus Christ and point people to Christ. When there are children that are raised in the homes and they're not just some inconvenient add-ons. They become part of a family and it's, it's parents that love their children more than they love things. It's parents that want to invest in their children and point them to God more than they care about them gaining certain awards or achievements that they're going to just take every hour and in investing into them for the glory of God. And children then are banging, that are fleshing out biblical principles. What a sweet savior before a an evil world in which we live. So may we live out these truths for the glory of God. But let me ask you, if you're here this morning, and maybe a lot of this stuff just is like foreign, I mean, submitting, um, loving your wife, being that selfless, bringing children to first-time standard, do you, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Because really, when He's the center of our life, yeah, we get it wrong because we're still sinners. 
But as the Spirit of God knocks on our heart door and knocks on our, on our back and is shaping us and directing us to biblical value and biblical truth and, and repentance and to, to, to whomever we've offended and to God, then we keep getting it right. We'll become shaped more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Well, you can't even get the first base, if I may say gently, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You don't have the resources of Scripture and all of His truth to guide you as a, as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, as a child, and how you're to live. If you have any questions about how do you have a relationship with God, how can you be sure that you'll step into the presence of God and be with Him forever? I'd love to sit down with you and open up Scripture. I'll do that today or... Um, a couple of days in the beginning of this week, love to get together with you and share what God's word says to you in that subject. Make Jesus the center of your life and you'll never be disappointed. God, we love you. We thank you for your grace and your love to us. God, may you receive glory in everything that we do and how we act and how we live. God, thank you for your instruction in the word of God. Thank you for the spirit of God that doesn't let up on us, that keeps knocking and pursuing us and shaping us and directing us in how we are to live. God, may we raise up families and children that love you. May we be spouses that radiate Christ through our home. For your glory, we pray in Christ's name, amen.